I'm Sherry Dunleavy, your inspirationista, host, and a grieving mom. Welcome to the Grief Anonymous podcast. Grief is a journey, and I'm 20 years into mine. No matter where you are in yours, I hope you'll join me as I provide you with information, tools, and experts to help guide you through the darkness of death into the light of living. Help is on the way. Steve Sewell joins me once again. He is an author and a grief educator. And last time he joined us, we were talking a little bit about what he does and why he does it. But today, we're actually going to be talking about the how-tos. The how-to reach out to people who are suffering, people who are grieving. The how-to help children who are are going through a very rough time. These are the kinds of things that he goes into corporations and he goes into schools and he educates people about. So Steve, very happy to have you back again today. Absolutely, great to be back and it's good to, good to be, be with you. So tell us a little bit about um, what we can do. Like what, where do we start when it comes to, let's, let's start with children, let's start with the schools. You have a child who maybe is, is coming back to school after the loss of a parent or, or maybe even the loss of a pet. Um, that can really affect a child more than what we know, right? You know, I think that's a big thing that right there is because loss and grief has such a big scope. It has such a wide swath, if you will. Uh, and it's, it's uh, challenging just to think that a child will grieve over one kind of grief point or one kind of episode, if you will, or one kind of loss and not over another one. So the, 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 the element or the, the scope of grief is so, uh, is, is so big for a child. And because it varies between ages and it varies between family structures and varies between the kind of um, support uh, structure that a child has, we really have to be uh, watchful. We have to have uh, what, what I call an eye to nurture, having an eye to nurture, which really is all about helping kids feel safe. You know, when you think about it as a parent or when we think about it as a pet owner, um, that, that, that human or that pet will come close to us when there is fear or when there is um, uh, uncertainty. When a child is at school and the educator or the counselor or the custodian or the lunchroom ladies or the principal, whoever happens to be a part of that uh, child's uh, life, if they start watching fear and they see uh, quietness and silence, they start seeing a, re, uh, a reaction rather than a, a proper response, then we start seeing, uh, you know, the lack of, of safety, and we start seeing fear in that child's eye. So we always want to start looking for that nurturing opportunity. Yeah, one of the things that I, I try to educate people on is that, you know, when we, we think about a grieving person, we think about a person who's sad, who has their head down, who might be crying, who wants to be left alone, okay? So you think about a child in school, 
that is definitely not the way that grief is going to be presenting itself through a child, is it? Not necessarily, no. And and because of you know the the way that a, that the children are are raised up in this day and age with so many different uh, kinds of conflicts and configurations of family and dynamics of alcoholism or dynamics of what we used to call latchkey kids, which is really what uh, a stay-at-home kid is. Um, and so, you know, this, this, this idea to just provide nurturing to kids, and really what does that look like? Well, it's really all about an expected hope or an expected good that can be drawn out of, of that child. So as an educator, we see these children uh, expressing grief, uh, showing signs of loss, all of those kinds of things. Um, it is a really a good opportunity for us to help them, what, what a lot of people would say, look forward. But I like to actually uh, change the wording around and say forward look. Uh, because when we forward look, we help the child look from, from looking down and looking at himself and herself and the woes and the concerns and maybe gazing their eyes back up to this, what else is going on here? Who else is a part of my support structure? Who else loves me and cares about me? What else is going on? Even though I had a really bad situation on the playground, my grades are still very good. Or even though I had an... A, a poor grade on my uh, class, my PE grade is still very good uh, in various little things like that. So it's a, it's a nurturing hope in kids. So when you go into schools and you're talking to educators, and, and I like how you mentioned, you know, the, the, um, the service personnel, the lunch ladies, the, the person who is, you know, cleaning up, after school, um, the bus driver, all of those people might be noticing different things. And, you know, it, it just, it just, you know, it, it, it reminds me of it takes a village, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, but it also takes a village to, to notice a child when, when they're in, when they're in strife. You know, the, the, in healthcare, there is a phrase or there is a term that is happening almost every two weeks, especially on like long-term care, uh, hospice, palliative care, and then it's called the IDG. Uh, and it, it's the um, intergroups inter, inter that, um, that connect with that patient. Mm -hmm. Schools work best when educators and counselors and everybody working to help provide a safe environment for that child to communicate. So I'm constantly reminding teachers, coaches, bus drivers, all of these people to communicate with each other. And, and they have a way to do that. Most schools have a way of, you know, if the bus driver sees some activity and sees it a prolonged period of time, he could, he or she could write an email or send a note to the principal that says, hey, I saw Jimmy 
in the last two days, Jimmy's head has been down, buried in his lap, rather than talking amongst himself or talking with his group of friends. And uh, so this communication can really be um, created, a good communication team could happen. So that IDG or that interdisciplinary group. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it does work well to, to work as a team. So I think that um, one of the things that might be important for people to know is that they're there to be a support system. They can, they can help, but it's not their job to fix this, right? Right. The job of fixing may actually be, it should be a retired job anyway. <laughs> um, we, we, we really need to get our minds off of fixing people and on to nurturing them toward their own reconciliation. If I create a bunch of um, answers for a child, I'm not really helping them. But if I give them the pathway to make those decisions, then they own their own healing. They own their own recovery. Uh, the same way for an addict. If I'm just making all of the decisions for a uh, drug addict, Mm -hmm. um, then I'm not giving them any resources. I'm not giving them any tools. So as, as advocates for children, uh, as advocates for teenagers, we really ought to be thinking more about helping them reconcile, which means giving them outside support, giving them opportunities to look up, to build hope with kids. So, you know, we, we, we practice um, saying the right thing. You know, your, your book, for instance, is perfect because it talks to us about what not to say, what to say, how do we respond with love. We do the same way when we're doing with kids. And especially when we're dealing with, um, when we're dealing with grief, because kids don't know how to process grief. And so, uh, you know, we want to begin to have meaningful conversations with them. Okay, so let's 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 talk about this a little bit because okay, so let's just let's just pick a, a an elementary school child. So we have a, a general age there. How do you start that conversation? Um, you know, maybe the bus driver does send an email and he says that he notices something. Maybe the teacher doesn't know that the, that the child has suffered a loss. How do you encourage people to start that conversation? Well, I have always believed that. If we're going to have conversations with people, especially with kids, then we first ought to have them with ourselves. We have to have an understanding of where, how we feel about suffering and loss. If we feel like it should be avoided at all points, then we're really not going to be helpful to that child. So once we get our own personal suffering ideology on or uh, what I talk to faith groups a lot about is our suffering theology. Once we understand that, then we can begin to have these meaningful conversations. And I think the first thing is that we have to follow their lead. We have to make sure that we're not pushing for answers or pushing them to talk, but we just want to let them know that we're curious about them, that we might be wondering how they are. We might be... Um, we might use the word worry carefully, but we might be able to say, hey, uh, I'm worried about you because you've been very different the last couple of days or the last few hours. The, the bus ride today in the morning 
was different. And the bus ride home is a little different too. So I'm wondering how you are. That, would, that, that could be a good way of starting the conversation of that meaningful conversation as a parent. Mm -hmm. When I have gone to my child and said, hey, Sam, can we get ice cream tonight? It's, it's our built-in code system that says, I want to talk to you about something that's meaningful. Or if they come to me and they say, hey, dad, can we go get for ice cream? My answer is always going to be absolutely yes, because they have something to talk to me about. It's not pushy. It's very open-ended, and it's following each other's lead. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes just having a, a child just knowing that someone else knows and someone else shares that secret and or you know that that pain with them, just the acknowledgement of it can do so much. So many times if a child just feels like they're unseen, they don't matter, that this is something that's, you know, and their world is me, 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 and they're not, you know, so they're, they're so caught up. So just the mere acknowledgement of their suffering and pain can do great things to help them. I had a teacher tell me one time that they have a favorite phrase that they tell kids when they are in a, in a difficult time and they say they have a card that they've written that says I see you and when they see that you know it's like you said you know when when, when they have been seen when someone discovers who they are discovers what's going on because they're desperate to find help just like we would be in the middle of a difficult situation when someone comes to me and says, Steve, I notice that you're stressful or that you're more, um, that you have anxiety. It, it appears right now you have some anxiety. And I'm like, oh, you notice, good. Because <laughs> I, I, I am a mess right now, you know, whatever. So I, I think when we're talking about meaningful conversations, definitely we want to talk about, you know, following their lead. But I also think that we ought to be thinking about having open and honest conversations with our, with our kids. When we're, when we're not telling everything, but when we're being truthful with the obvious uh, things going on, mm -hmm. um, I think we have a tendency to overburden kids with all of the information. So let's minimize the facts, but capitalize on how they're feeling. And so talk about how open and how honest life could be if they were to share their own feelings, or if they weren't willing to share them with you with words, could they draw? Could they spend time with uh, uh, the puppy that comes to the school once a week? Um, could they go out and ride the horse uh, every month when, when the horses come for uh, therapy or you know, whatever it might be. Open and honesty is crucial. So what can schools do better to help their, their students dealing with difficult times in life? Well, I think any time that we get our kids into a variety of expression, that helps. So, um, you know, we've all heard of coffee breaks. Mm -hmm. Well, what a lot of schools are doing now is they are adopting a, a dog or a cat 
And so they call them puppy breaks or kitty breaks. And so they're just coming in and the owners of these animals are bringing in their, uh, their, their loved ones, their pets. And the kids have an opportunity to pet and to be around the puppies and to be around the, the kittens or the horses. Um, and it creates an avenue of expression for the teachers to look out for, for the owners of the pets to look out for, for maybe some of the counselors to, to do so. I think some creativity there is a really good idea. I also think music, art, and drama can be especially helpful with kids that are experiencing grief um, because they have a different way of expressing it. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we might say that they're acting out that part, but really what they're acting out is what's something that's very deep inside. And so let's talk to them about what that's like. And let's see their drawing or their, or their, um, their uh, pottery that they've, they've built mm -hmm. and, or we ask them about the wood shop class that they have uh, or the metal shop that the class that they have. I even have uh, knowledge of a coach that uh, watches the way that they play uh, their sport. And it really, he's mindful of how people are playing and he'll bring them over and he'll say, I'm watching you, I'm watching you play defense today. Something's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so it just gives them an opportunity. So that creative ways, not, just talking, but music, art, and drama, pet therapy, um, athletics, uh, various things like that. And sometimes it is much too much for the, um, the school to deal with, and sometimes there needs to be further intervention um, that, where they are not able to, to handle this so well, or that maybe they need more care than what, what the school can provide. I think when schools, when school personnel, when educators can advocate for kids well, sometimes the best way to advocate for a child is through a referral. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I was just given um, a referral sheet when I had called one of the school counselors here in my own town for a referral for somebody else. And they had a very nicely written up uh, list of resources that are available. Um, parents need those. Parents already feel this tyranny of a hurry and panic and rage and all these other things going on, especially during a pandemic. Um, and so it's really good for our educators to have these referrals. And that some of those referrals are going to have your name on them, Sherry. They're going to have my name on them and because we really specialize in grief and so it's very possible that we could be deployed into those kind of cases so that's what i was going to talk to you about how do you suggest to schools uh, that they have um, referrals how do they get them that that's the one thing that i'm asked when i go to schools is we don't even know where the help is where the help is available that that's frightening to me most of the uh counselors social workers 
that are in each of the of our buildings have uh, a list of referrals, um, and they have a um, uh, a set of boundaries and a set of uh, guidelines that help them do that. You know, they have to be a certain education level or you know whatever. Um, but what I have found is that when you and I reach out to schools and just say, we're here, we're available, we want to be supportive, that's where we can really, you know, see the biggest difference. And that's when they will call us um, as well. I just had a conversation with uh, a school in Texas that uh, is now, uh, you know, they're, they're finished for the year, but the principal called and said, hey, um, there is there is a series of things happening in our city. What can we do as a school? But they reached out to me uh, because of one of the teachers had given my name. So that's probably the biggest way that, our, that you and I are going to be of help and the other people that are listening that have a care and love and advocate for kids. They're, they're going to have those. I think it's also helpful for a school to have a resource library um, where they can offer materials to, to parents, to, to children, to even grandparents. I know that where I live, there are many grandparents that are raising their grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, everything that they knew as, as, you know, as parents, a lot of it has become obsolete. A lot of it isn't, you just call this person and this person, you have to go online. So to have those resources as to where, where they can go, what they can do, what they can read is, is a wonderful thing as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And your book, uh, my books uh, are going to be part of those, those resources. We want them to be part of those resources. And so very, very helpful. So speaking of your book, let's talk about your children's book. Tell me a little bit about that book and and what the workbook, um, how it helps facilitate the healing process through grief. So my book called uh, Finding Hope, it's about a a little girl who loses her smile when her grandma dies. Mm -hmm. And those of us who work with children, we know that when a kid stops smiling, when a child stops expressing joy, something else is going on because their joy is so easily found. Their, their, their smiles are about everything, puppies to their favorite pen to uh, seeing their friend wear the same shirt they are wearing, um, buying a brand new pair of cleats for soccer. Um, so smiles can come in just a lot easier for children, not so much for us. Yeah. Adults, you know, we lose our smile very quickly. Uh, so when kids stop smiling, things start happening. And so this book is all about this little girl who has the most amazing relationship with her grandma and loves her so much and is funny. And she knows how to turn horrible situations into funny ones and learning new things. Um, but through the stages of cancer, she watches her grandma um, become more and more uh, unable to smile. And then when her grandma dies, um, her smile is gone. And she has this wonderful encounter with the gentleman 
down the street from her. It's an older gentleman. Mm -hmm. And he begins to tell her that it's not as bad as she thought it was, that her smile is not as gone as she thinks it is. Mm -hmm. And so he introduces hope to her. And so she goes around looking for hope underneath the swimming pool where all the bugs are and uh, in her brother's room and um, in the kitchen cabinets and things like that. And when she finds it, it changes her life because she finds an inner hope. And so that turned into a smile again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so the workbook that goes with it is an activity book that we did uh, to, to try to put some feet to the, what is it like to talk about um, hope? Or what is it like to, um, to, to make a, a, uh, a recipe that looks like a smile or things like that. So there's all kinds of little action steps where kids could write, draw, uh, act out, uh, color uh, in various different ways. I'm grateful the book has been um, welcomed in some cancer clinics across the country and some hospice, some funeral homes, uh, some uh, schools, there's been some school libraries. uh, And so really grateful for that. Well, that's wonderful, and it's a it's a great tool to to help children understand and process their feelings um, through through this whole right ordeal. So, where can people get a copy of your book, Finding Hope? They can uh, they can go right to my website, which is stephensewell.me, me, stephensewell.me, and uh, you can go right to the uh, book book page, and you'll get them right there. Anything that you want to leave um, our listeners with when it comes to helping and supporting children in their grief? You know, I think what may be happening with some of our listeners today is that they have seen the stages of their kids. And they might have younger ones, teenagers, and older uh, or adult children. And one thing that I'm realizing more and more is that as kids get older, in their grief, that our welcome mat should be out and our mouth should be closed. So we're not talking as much, but our welcome mat should be out so that we're experiencing uh, the gift of love, acceptance, and if necessary, forgiveness. It's a wonderful way to end things, Steve. Thank you very much for joining us today. Great to be with you always. I'm Sherry Dunleavy, and you've been listening to the Grief Anonymous podcast. For more information on today's guest, the Grief Anonymous program, or the Grief Resource Network, go to griefanonymous.com or griefresourcenetwork.com. For more information on my book, workshops, or talks, go to sherrydunleavy.com. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks for listening.